As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hi everyone and welcome to Pixels, a podcast for the discerning gamer. Hello everyone and welcome back to Pixels. This is a show where we talk about the video game industry and the news that has been happening in the past couple of weeks or so. We try to gather everything and sort of uh, triage between the interesting and the not necessarily interesting. And we take that interesting pile and uh, summarize, understand and analyze it and try to deliver a an enjoyable uh, about 60 to 90 minutes uh, show that will get you a summary of all of this. So you don't have to go and read every single piece of blog that's being published out there and you'll still have an understanding of this industry that we all love. Uh, my name is Patrick Beja and um, today I have Daniel with us who's better known as... So uh, you told me everyone pronounces your uh, Twitter name differently. Um, oh, please don't fall down when I'm... <laughs> no, no, that was just something name. I dropped on the floor. All right, so. we're good. Um, so yeah, Zuj S E X or Zuj it's a Chinese name. Sorry, my Chinese isn't. Yeah, it's, it's it's a Chinese name, so um, it's pronounced sugar ex or sugar ex. But um, everyone has calls me, you know, C huge ex or sugar <laughs> x or I, I don't know. You know, to be honest, you can call me whatever you want. Daniel's fine. Oh, cool. Um, <laughs> Uh, we'll we'll do Just, that uh, then. Yeah, Juge um, yeah, Ex Juge uh, is from the Romance of Three Kingdoms, which of mm -hmm. course is a, a video game before it's a novel. Obviously, as as we all know. Yes, yes. Um, but more to the point of this, you are uh, so you're an analyst in other things, but your hobby is to crunch numbers from the video game industry and publish uh, insightful tweets and blog articles, right? Yeah, that's right. So I actually work for a mobile company in the UK. Um, general roles just as an analyst there. Um, but I guess my passion is is when it comes to the games industry. So what I, I love doing is, is kind of, you know, researching different bits. Um, uh, well, research about the whole of the games industry. So whether that is, you know, mobile itself um, or console, PC, kind of archiving all that data, putting it together. And I also love to share it with people as well. Um, I think that whilst I learn... I can actually share my learnings with other people. So a lot of people who might be listening to this podcast now um, would know me from Twitter or they'd be linked to this, you know, um, from Twitter from me. Um, and that's where I post a lot of my stuff. I also have a blog as well. Um, 
but but in general, yeah, that, that's my main hobby is just kind of sharing all that data and, and trying to make sense of it as well. Cool. And uh, you know what? On this show, we're going to be talking about uh, the interesting bits of the financial results, which we got in the past uh, few weeks. And there's been a lot happening. And uh, financial results, I, I understand some people might think, ah, this is going to be boring. No, it isn't. Just listen. And you'll, <laughs> I was going to say you'll see, but you'll hear. Um, yeah, you'll hear. Interesting stuff. Uh, we'll also be talking about Uncharted 4, of course, you know, one of the major releases for the year and one of the most anticipated ones for me, at least. Um, we'll do uh, quick impressions, uh, not like mime impressions. I know I'm French, but <laughs> cut it out, listeners. Um, so quick impressions uh, at the beginning of the show. And w then we'll go into spoiler discussions at the end of the show. But if you haven't played it yet or if you don't want to be spoiled, then... No worries, we'll be very clear when we start talking about it with spoilers, uh, and that Starting will be now. at the end. <laughs> don't, don't scare them off. Um, yeah, okay. we're, we'll be we'll be talking about uh, impressions without, like, very quickly, just a couple of minutes, uh, quick impressions, sure. um, and then, as I was saying, when the show's over, we'll have a spoiler section, um, and we'll also talk about the NVIDIA uh, new graphics card that, if you're a PC gamer you should be interested in because it's uh, a pretty, in my opinion, a, a pretty big uh, uh, hit that they uh, delivered in the past couple of weeks. So, um, all right, let's start with uh, very quickly Uncharted 4 impressions. Uh, I just finished it this morning. You finished it yesterday. Uh, like, what did you think? For me, um, game of the year, to be honest. Wow, you know, these, okay. These are the kind of games that I love. Um, and when I say these kind of games, I mean that kind of, you know, that third person action adventure style game with, you know, a great story, lots of, I don't want to say cinematic gameplay, but you know, that, that kind of style. Um, so games like Uncharted, for example, games like you know, Metal Gear, games like Assassin's Creed, uh, I love all of those series. And this Uncharted game is, is exactly what I wanted from, from the game. And, uh, you know, for me, yeah, I, I would say reactions having just completed yesterday definitely the game of the year so far nice. um whether something will come across better in the future maybe yeah sure mm. but for me 2016 i can't say that i played a better game okay um i i think it's game of the year territory for me um it's i think it it still didn't manage to rise above my favorites from this genre and the the company that does this genre best which is naughty dog uh the best mm -hmm. ones for me were uh uncharted 2 and the last oh, of yeah, us yeah. oh so you, you you still rate it maybe a little bit less enjoyable than uncharted 2 uncharted 2 is probably to one because i haven't played it recently I'm kind of going off nostalgia here and, and yeah. trying to remember, you know, and I, I thought Uncharted 2 was, was great when it came out and when I played it. And I did play it again maybe a year back or so, a couple of years back. Um, now, I'm just trying to remember. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, Uncharted 2 and Uncharted 4, definitely my favorite in the series. I, I'll be honest with you, I wasn't a big fan of The Last of Us. It, it, it's a good game. Yeah. It just didn't click with me personally, I think. Yeah, I think The Last of Us, and it's, I, I understand, you know, maybe it's, it's hard not to compare all these, all of these games because even with The Last of Us, they, they have so much in common with the storytelling be, mm. having such a huge importance in it and the, uh, you know, the, the acting really, which is incredible. Um, yeah. but 
So uh, The Last of Us definitely was a different style of gameplay. It was a lot more about... Uh, there was less action, let's say. It was more about the enjoying the cinematic, the, the scenery and the uh, the mm. world and the, the ambience, the mood of the game. Um, here, it's a lot more action. Um, but yeah, I would put it below Uncharted 2 still. And you're absolutely right saying it's also going off of memory because I only played it in 2009 when it came out. Yes. And I didn't replay through it uh, uh, you know, to this day. So maybe there's a little bit of nostalgia there and maybe the things that it was doing were so mind-blowing at the time. There are some just as mind-blowing moments in this one, but it's less impactful because I've I've seen similar things before, whereas it was all fresh and new in, the, in, in Uncharted 2. So I don't know. There was... Uh, definitely, it's a good game. It's a great game. I, I, I It was never bored in my experience. I think... The pacing of this one has some issues. Um, I was a little bit less uh, engaged at times. I think it w it could have benefited from being, you know, it's about 15 hours. I think mm -hmm. had it been 12 or even <clears throat> 10, it would have been a home run um, with this. But I understand they didn't want to deliver just a 10-hour game. I think, you know, for me, it would have been nice. But um, overall... Great game, enjoyed it very much. I have some gripes, which we'll get into in the spoiler yes. discussion. Um, but yeah, I agree. It's a, it's a great game, and <laughs> I, I I wouldn't put it in my top spot for game of the year only because I know that uh, Overwatch is probably going to be my game of the year already. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, we'll see. The game is still very well. The, I did say years. so far. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. No, of course, of course. But for me, even so far, I have one that I think is gonna. I'm gonna play more and enjoy more. But it's sure. in it's it's in that running. I think for most people, and um and you know it's it's an awesome experience which delivers. Ex I think the best way to summarize it is if you've ever enjoyed an Uncharted game, this was this will deliver deliver on the fantasy and the promise of an Uncharted game in an excellent manner. Um, whether or not it is the best of that is up for debate. I think most people kind of agree that that it it isn't. It's still excellent, but it isn't the best version of that. But it delivers mm -hmm. on on that promise. So if that's what you're looking for, you can absolutely buy it. Uh, you know, with your eyes closed, it's going to be an incredible experience for you. If you dislike Uncharted, if that's not your thing, then obviously, you know, all of the things that you dislike about this game. It's still very much the same thing. So you're not going to enjoy it because you just don't like that kind of game. Um, so in that sense, I guess it's an easy description. Yeah, I, I would agree. Yeah. All right. Uh, we'll talk about it more, and I can't wait to talk about it more at the end of the show. But for now, um, NVIDIA announced new graphics card. And if you're a PC nerd, then uh, you're excited. Uh, the GTX 1080 is going to be released in a couple of weeks, even less than that. Uh, it's going to be about 600 bucks, uh, And the GTX 1070 is going to be released two weeks after that. And it's under 400 bucks for the OEM um, versions for the partner uh, um, manufacturer versions, and uh, both of them are more powerful than the current um, most powerful graphics card, which is the Titan X, which costs about a thousand bucks. So um, great tech in those uh, graphics cards. I'm not going to get into the details. The only feature I would talk about is one that allows um, the, the devs to display uh, different 
cameras from one existing scene at no FPS cost, uh, basically at no uh, uh, calculations power cost. So for things like VR, it's going to be incredibly uh, useful because you have to display two images of the same 3D scene at a slightly different angle. And with these cards, it can be implemented in a way that doesn't consume more uh, GPU power. So that's going to be a big win if you want to do VR. Um, Traditionally, uh, when they release a new graphics cards series, a new chip, uh, they release the high end first, which is the eight, the, you know, 80 series, uh, and it's very expensive. And they release the mid range card later, like months later. Um, and that is, I think, usually a little bit less expensive than this uh, 70 series, but around that same price range. And uh, I think this time they're releasing them very close together. And for me, at least, uh, that 1070 series is going to be the ideal candidate for any uh, gamer looking to build a PC that's not going to cost him the price of a house or her uh, the price of a house. House, right? It, that's and they're releasing it very soon after the high end. That's a, a pretty good move, I think, on Nvidia's part. Um, what do you think, Daniel? Yeah, it's it, it's a good move. It's it's trying to get people to. Buys buys these experiences up front, um, rather than spreading it out again. I think over the year, um, because this is kind of a you know a huge jump in technology. They want to get people invested in this um, ten ten well what is it one thousand ten thousand series now. Yeah, um, ten thousand. So I think it's, that's yeah. where they're trying to go. Sorry, coming in. I, I think that's what they're trying to go now. Is yeah. it's going to get people onto this. Because it is sort of a next gen jump. Um, yeah. If you look at compared to past series of graphics cards, they showed a chart at the um, at the conference, which was basically saying, you know, this is where the nine seventy is or nine eighty is. This is where the ten eighty is, and you kind of look at it and go, that's a that's a very big leap. And the fact that it's better than a Titan as well, the ten eight ten eighty that is, you know, this is a a whole new generation for Nvidia and. I think not just on the hardware side, but on the software side as well. You were talking about the um, the VR stuff, the reprojection. It, it all looks great, and I think it's you know Nvidia want to get as many people on this generation as possible as soon as possible. Yeah, it's a very aggressive move, and we have to wait until uh, AMD announces their new um, uh, series, and in, in probably very soon here. Uh, but they usually compete in the lower consumption um, end of the graphics card, so it it's probably not going to be the same kind of deal. Um, but you're right, it's a different um, uh, generation of chip. It definitely is a bigger jump that we, than we've seen in the previous uh, uh, generation changes for NVIDIA. And it also uh, is less power hungry, so you, can, you don't necessarily need to change your uh, PSU at the time you change your uh, graphics card. And it's it seems like... It's one of those uh, in in you know in chip development. There are moments when the chips are just a you know a, a decent upgrade, and there are moments when the chips are a, a generational shift. And it's it's at that moment probably that you should buy the new rig if you want to get something that lasts and that's a, a big jump in performance. And this looks like it's that kind of generational uh, shift. So obviously, we're going to need to wait for the uh, independent uh, tests and to make sure that the claims are actually substantiated by uh, uh, 
other people, not just the uh, NVIDIA marketing department. But I don't think that, you know, even if they polish it a little bit, they wouldn't, you know, lie to the point that what they're saying is becoming completely untrue. They couldn't do that. So it's looking like a very decent, um, more than decent. It's looking that like the one chance for people to build very powerful rigs for, let's say, very powerful rigs usually cost an arm and a leg. Uh, one with that graphics card would only cost you an arm or a leg, not both. So, you know, when you're a PC gamer, you take them when you, where you can get them. Um, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, NVIDIA, good good strategy. Getting the mid-range immediately out is, is a good call, I think. And with the VR uh, gears being built, it's built. It's a... It's a Good, good uh, candidate for your next uh, your next graphics card. I think we're going to end up recommending it. Yeah, I mean, um, this is the year of VR, isn't it? Yeah, and so well, and next year as well, and probably the year after that. <laughs> yeah. So you know, so this is um, this is this is this is why they're advertising it now. You know, as having next gen VR experiences, etc. Um, they're trying to get that market, which is going to grow this year. Yeah, for sure. I mean, this is this looks very much like a VR play. Um, we also have to remember um, displays on PCs are uh, you know high resolution displays like 4K, 5K, 6K displays are maybe a year away, and I think that these kinds of cards are going to be able to push uh, that kind of graphics. Um, the the current cards are going to be able to handle VR, maybe not these kinds of displays or you know not in a satisfactory way so yeah we'll 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 see but these look like a pretty good bet and a good play on on nvidia's part um for the the vr buzz now hopefully the buzz will live up to the expectations and not disappear in 18 months but that no one knows yet uh, financial results. So we've had results from pretty much all of the big players in uh, the video game industry. Uh, that's the the fiscal year ends March 31st. And uh, we've had results from uh, Namco, Kodami, Square Enix. Uh, we've had EA, Ubisoft, even Activision a, a while ago. Um, the first thing I, I saw was... The Japanese companies are... I thought that video games were dead in, in Japan. I'm over-exaggerating for emphasis, but they're doing super well. I mean, they're doing well, and they're doing better than they were last year. I, I, am I reading this right? Yeah, I mean, they're all doing, um, if not better than last year, then at least on par with last year, um, especially the bigger companies up there, like Square Enix and Capcom, Um Bandai Namco, for example, they, they, they've all seen just um, increases in sales, and, and that's thanks to the um, the diversifying portfolios that they have. So, yeah, they're all, they're all doing better, basically. Um, so Namco Bandai is... Is it the biggest one? I think it is. Uh, just to give you an idea, it's about uh, 5 billion euros... Um, oh, how do you call it? Like, ah, chiffre d'affaires. It's uh, in, not income... Uh, Revenue, revenue, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so about five billion bucks revenue. That's that's a lot of money. Um, and on oh, yeah, the yeah. on on the um, uh, uh, ah, the the money they're making actually not the revenue the profits. 
the prophets. Thank you. Um, th- th- one thing I found uh, interesting was they're making um, a, a, a lot of money in Japan and about a third of that, less than a third of that, outside of Japan. It's about uh, three to four hundred million uh, dollars made in Japan um, and only a hundred million in uh, the West outside of Japan, uh, even if you count uh, the rest of Asia. So what that told me was how, you know, we sometimes wonder why those Japanese companies focus so much on, on just the Japanese market. That's where they're making their money. Is, is that the case for all of them? I wouldn't say it's the case for all of them, but the majority, yeah, 100%, you know, um, the, the majority of Japanese companies will focus on Japan, especially when you look at Bandai Namco, because they're one of, well, one of their biggest segments is their, their kind of toys and hobby segment. And so what that is, is, is all the merchandise from, you know, their games or licensed products that they sell. And the majority of those sales are in Japan. So whilst you may hear about Bandai Namco selling, three million units of Dark Souls in the West, for example. Um, they they actually still got a, a huge kind of toy segment in Japan. They've got a big mobile segment in Japan. Um, and that's why the majority of their revenue still is coming from, well, the, the Japanese market. So is that... Um, a, a, I mean, what you're saying is the video games uh, segment is not the majority of their uh, revenue. It's It's more those, well... I guess mobile is still video games, but it's more toys and these kind of things. And you're mentioning Dark Souls. Uh, it's the biggest launch in the series. Three million is a very respectable number. The previous yes. ones did, um, uh, what, one or two million, something like that. 1.2, I think. Um, so, But they're, they're still making most of their money not from the video games? The, so video games is the biggest for them. Okay. Um, but that includes all sorts of things from console to mobile to, to browser to online to PC, mm. etc. Um, so overall, it is yes, it is the biggest segment. Um, but I guess if we split it out, then it is not. Um, and that's where the toys and merchandising segment comes in. And that's mm. where that's the biggest. So, you know, for example, they, they make the toys for, um, uh, you know, uh, Dragon Ball, I think, and, and Yo-Kai Watch and right, Gundam. Right, right. And all, and all those kind of things. So so they actually make a lot of sales from from just kind of merchandise alone, uh, licensing. Um, when it comes to games, they've got this 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 mobile segment as well, which is doing very well. Um, digital is definitely growing for them. They've also got arcades, um, which are doing quite well. And yeah, I mean, o- overall, really, the, the the good thing about their, their video game segment is that it is growing. They right. sold about... Um, 26 million games i think this year so you know home console games um this year which is which is up over last year and then they are looking to to sell pretty much the same amount this year as well right so they're they're not they're definitely not abandoning uh that that category i think We've had a lot of uh, discussions about Konami throughout the year and how they're sort of disengaging themselves from the video game industry. Um, they've, they're still making quite a good amount of money, but they did mention uh, virtual reality and esports as potential, um, you know, uh, 
departments of growth in the coming year. Um, Konami is still into video. I, I don't know what to make of them. Like they've been so confusing with uh, Kojima and the way they've handled Metal Gear Solid Five and all of that. Um, what do you, where do you think they're going? Are they committed to video games or are, are they, you know, slowly drifting away? Well, the, the issue with Konami comes with the fact that they've gone from one extreme to another. Uh, you, you look what, what, five years ago, they were working with lots of developers, um, publishing games for them, uh, you know, actually putting out video game content. But at the end of the day, they, they didn't see that transition to um, to next gen becoming more core. So in the end, they, they ended up losing a bit of money in that video game segment. And that kind of put them off of the whole thing. And so now, when you actually look at their lineup for this year, they've only got one game coming out that's going to launch outside of Japan, which is Pro Evolution Soccer. That's their only game that they're launching now. Mm. It's the only game that they're supporting. Um, and I'm not a fan of that, to be honest, because they, they've kind of said, you know, there's no point investing in these big AAA video games, but they're still missing out on a, on a huge market, whether it's, uh, you know, smaller games or, or sort of mid-end, perhaps. Um, or even taking risks on on their well known IPs already. Mm. Um, it's so th- for them. Sorry, go on, Patrick. Oh no, no, go ahead. I, I was just saying for for them, um, they've yeah they've just gone from one extreme to another. And even though their their revenue and profit was up this year, thanks to uh, for example mobile and then you know arcade and pachinko machines, they they are predicting that the revenue and profit might fall next year. Um, so I think for them they are they are slowly kind of downsizing their company, mm. um, and I don't think that I mean maybe we'll see them invest in video games, and by that I mean home video games in the future. But for them right now, it's what only a handful of titles. Right, and how much of this has to do with the um, slow start of the PlayStation Four in Japan? I mean, when you look at these numbers, it seems pretty clear that the at least Japanese developed games are very much focused on the Japanese market because it's very big for them. And you were talking about the transition to uh, the now current gen systems. Uh, and in Japan, the Xbox One is non-existent. There are basically a handful of them in the yeah. wild. Um, and the, even the PlayStation 4 has seen a very slow start. I think now it's sort of coming into, into its own. But for you know the amount of success it's enjoyed worldwide in Japan, it hasn't sold very well, maybe until the last few months, and it's got some catching up to do. I'm wondering if that mm-hmm. also influences the way these Japanese companies approach uh, the the way they develop the, develop their games for this you know last year, this year, and maybe the next year. Yeah, I mean the the, the good thing about Japan to start with is that they've got a very core audience that um, will buy you know, certain franchises um, in the same numbers each year. So that's the good thing. But the, I guess the issue starts with just looking at the, the console industry itself. When you look at home consoles, for example, if you go back to when the PS1 came out, you know, there, there was a huge install base of, of consoles then. Um, and then each generation, we've seen it half. Um, and, and, you know, the PlayStation 3 generation, I think, um, was, was quite low. And then PlayStation 4 is now even lower. So the install base isn't there. Now, if you're a small Japanese developer or publisher that's publishing a game that has a core audience, um, then it should be okay because you're able to, you know, use the same budgets and get the same return, um, and that's fine. 
But if you're making these kind of big budget games and you want it to sell to the audience in Japan, especially if it's a new IP, you're going to struggle with that. And so what we've seen from a lot of Japanese developers these days and publishers um, is, is that they're either, one, targeting their game um, to Asia as well. So we've seen Asia as a huge growth market for Japan, uh, for, sorry, for Japanese publishers, where they're publishing both games um, in, in Japan and in Asia, both in Chinese and Japanese, and then they're getting extra sales from that. Or alternatively, if they want to go even bigger, so they can companies like Square Enix, for example, who have Final Fantasy, they want to also appeal to the Western market as well. Um, the, the, like I said, the, the games market in Japan now is either, one, you make a game which appeals to a Japanese niche audience, or two, you make a game which appeals worldwide. Mm, and if you're it's... doing the second one, you need money. You need lots of money. And if you fail at that second option, that's it. You're out. So right. that's why there's a, there's a lot of risk involved in that second option and why a lot of them actually are saying, okay, either we'll exit the console games market and focus on something that's more profitable or we'll just create that, that core small niche title which we can do on a, on, a, on a low budget that we know will sell well to the small audience and that we'll be able to make sequels from. It, that. That makes a lot of sense, and uh, it sort of relates to a conversation that's been happening around uh, some things that uh, Epic has been talking about. Uh, Tim Sweeney uh, has been mm-hmm. talking about the way Epic has handled their games in the past few years, and they talked about how the budget for a AAA game like uh, Gears of War has exploded over the last 10 years, and how initially you could make one with you know a few dozen million dollars, and for... Oh, for the third one, it, the budget was 10 times that. So if you wanted to actually make money of this, you had to make it a uh, super big triple A blockbuster of a game. Um, and when you look at the Japanese market and how it's shrunk so much in the last 10 years, uh, for those Japanese developers that are so focused on the Japanese market, it becomes an, an impossible proposition. Either, you know, they have to change something. So uh, your explanation makes a lot of sense. I'm wondering, though, where do those Japanese gamers go? Do they just stop playing games or do they all play on mobile? Uh, or what happens to them? Why is the console market in Japan so much smaller than it was? The the shift to mo- mobile is definitely the, the number one explanation. So the, the gaming population as a whole might not have decreased fully. Um, in fact, it, it's grown thanks to mobile. So what we've seen is that if you look now at revenue from smartphone games in Japan specifically, it's now, what, three or four times more than console game revenue? And bear in mind, these are free-to-play games with microtransactions, mm. whereas console games are, you know, $60, $40 games. And the fact that smartphones now generate three times, four times as much, that's a huge, huge difference. And, mm. and the reason is, is because... I think there's a lot of social factors as well. Um, so Japanese gamers will prefer handheld gaming. We've seen that a lot, um, you know, with 3DS and DS in the past. And so a lot of people now are willing to just play these games for, you know, five, ten minutes. They're willing to spend money on these games. Japanese publishers have made a, a good stand, really, kind of, you know, getting people invested in these experiences right. and in turn um, getting people to invest their, their own money effectively. We're, so we're seeing that, yeah. It's... Uh, a- we're, we know that mobile games are big everywhere, um, and that's something that we're talking about constantly and the sort of push and pull between you know what's an actual game and, and what's a, more of a pastime-like experience, and that conversation ve- is very present in 
in mobile everywhere, but it seems like you know what you're describing could be said about the the mobile gaming industry everywhere. But it, maybe just for my edification, um, it's even more so and to a much bigger extent in Japan, right? That's why I'm, what I'm understanding. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I mean, if if you look at the the average revenue per user. Um, in Japan, it is much, much higher than, for example, the US or, or even China, which is quite a big games market uh, for mobile. So, you know, in, in Japan, each user who, who pays for mobile games um, in terms of microtransactions is paying a lot more than anywhere else. And Japan yeah. is one of the hardest markets to crack for mobile game publishers. You know, it's very insular as well. There's only, you know, the majority of games, for example, are from Japanese publishers. Games like Clash of Clans, which do well everywhere doesn't have the same sort of success in japan that it does worldwide mm. um so it's 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 very hard to crack even for those that are you know top top five top ten publishers right it's it's interesting uh related to that there was a um very famous japanese magazine called famitsu uh which mm -hmm. has been legendary for you know for for decades um that published their top 10 games of the year. Um, and it was really interesting. There were only two Western games. I initially tweeted there were no Western games in the top, which was, <laughs> I don't know, I'm, I didn't, I wasn't awake when I tweeted this, but there are only two Western games, Fallout 4 and Witcher 3. And everything else is Japanese. And, you know, obviously there are, you know, in, in it's not like you have only, um, you know, Japanese or Western games in the uh, Western top tens, but there's a much bigger diversity. I think that's that top ten is very telling. It is uh, so focused on the Japanese market itself, uh, just to to give you uh, uh, an idea of what they, those games were. Um, the game of the year is Splatoon, which uh, all of the games are good. I'm not saying they aren't, but um, Splatoon is the game of the year. Excellence Prize are Bloodborne, Dragon Quest Heroes, which I loved, and I, sort of na I, I think I named it as my game of the year last year, um, but it certainly wasn't as big in, in the West as it, as it was in Japan. Uh, anyway, Dragon Quest Eight, so two Dragon Quests, which speaks to the um, franchises you were talking about. Fallout 4, okay, Fire Emblem Fate, Grand Blue Fantasia, and that's where we get into kind of WTF territory. Um, Metal Gear Solid 5, Monster Hunter Generations, Monster Strike, which is a mobile game, um, Shironeko Project, Super Mario Maker, Tokyo Xanadu, again, what the fuck, uh, The Witcher 3, the second Western game, Yakuza 0, we're telling you it's a big uh, franchise here, uh, and Yokai Watch Busters. Um, there's a couple of other things there, but uh, yeah. It's really surprising to see how many Japanese games are in a Japanese top, te top 10. Um, it might seem obvious for people who say, well, you're in Japan. But again, in the, in the West, we have a much bigger diversity. We have Japanese games. We have games by French companies, by American companies, the, you know, uh, uh, Polish companies with uh, CD Projekt Red, CD Projekt. And um, anyway, I thought it was it was an interesting bit of uh, uh, information. Yeah, without a doubt. And uh, another thing, before we move on to uh, maybe a shorter uh, discussion about the Western companies, but uh, there was a really interesting line in the uh, Capcom's uh, report 
about uh, Street Fighter V, which they sold 1.4 million copies of, which is a good number, but they expected 2 million, and they were definitely disappointed by the game's performance. And uh, they said something uh, in the financials report along the lines of uh we now understand that uh, i'm not it's not a direct quote but i'm paraphrasing sure. we now understand that um games some games uh, it might be preferable for games to uh, be in development a little bit longer so that they're more polished and they have uh, more content and specifically for street fighter 5 we would have needed more content and more reliable servers like more solo content and more reliable servers and it's kind of how what how did you think it was going to do like if you have no solo content and the only thing is multiplayer content and you don't have reliable servers what did you think was going to happen like what did you expect so anyway i thought that was that was funny i mean that says it all doesn't it yeah yeah it does say it all um, so very quickly about the Western, um, the, the big publishers, we have EA, Ubisoft, Activision, Blizzard. Um, we have numbers for them too. Anything to of note, uh, anything to mention, except I guess they're making buckets of gold they can fill their swimming pools with now. Yeah. I mean, that, that that's true. So they can, <laughs> um, they're, they're all definitely making more money than they were last year. And, um, the reason for that, I guess, number one reason is the ever increasing shift towards digital. Um, so whether that's through mobile content or through stuff like full game downloads and, um, extra content, you know, we, we heard EA, for example, say that more than 55% of, of their total revenue now comes through digital distribution. And, and that's, really great for them because what it means is that not only are they reducing distribution costs um, in terms of shipping to retail and, um, you know, um, uh, all those other related costs uh, such as retailer cuts, but it also means that um, they're increasing the the margin, profit margin on that digital content as well because there aren't any costs involved. So overall it means a a more profitable EA um, and we're going to see that happening in the future. I mean, even now, you know, we already know that mo- mobile is 100% digital. We already know that PC, thanks to Steam, is 90% digital, pretty much. Uh, no one really buys physical PC games, I don't think, anymore. And in, in, in the console space, we're also seeing a shift to digital, not only um, in terms of full game downloads, which um, Activision actually mentioned one of the things that, you know, um, or was it Ubisoft? I can't remember now. Um, I think it was Ubisoft who was saying, or Activision, Trying to think. Um, sorry, who, who oh, was saying that? I think about thirty percent of their games are downloaded dig- digitally. So, um, you know, that's a thirty percent ratio. So, if there's a million games sold in total, you know, three hundred thousand of them are through digital stores, which is a huge number. That number is just growing and and growing so- and growing. What's the, the, the difference in margin between a digital store where they have to give a cut to Sony and a physical store, you know, Sony or Microsoft, and a physical store where they have to give a cut to, well, Sony, Microsoft, and, you know, Best Buy, Walmart, whoever? How, how much so, more money are they making on a game? In terms of digital, this is something that Ubisoft provided a while back, I think. Um, but say they sell a game for $100, which is including everything, um, and they sell that on PSN, for example, they'll pay 30% or something to Sony, and that's it. 
So they make 70% of that $100 or $70 right. um, for themselves, and they keep that. With um, retail, it's slightly different because they have to pay, for example, 25% to the retailer. Then there's 5% in distribution. There's you know 10% out here and 10% there. There's also price protection they have to um, think about as well, You know returns, for example. With digital, you don't actually stock a game. You just download it. But right. with retail, you actually have a game on the store. So right. in the, the store. storage and the, the handling of yeah. that and the shipping. And so, and also okay, if maybe... it doesn't sell, then you've got to return it. Mm. And so in the end, they're only making about 50 bucks, 55 bucks from that hundred, from that hundred dollars. So you're looking at 55% in retail, which is what they'll make compared to 70% via digital. All right. So that's about a 15% like direct uh, increase in your profits. Like, the and, difference between, yeah, I mean, yeah. if you're distributing it directly, so for example, with Ubisoft, they have Uplay. Um, right. So if you're doing it through there, you just pay the credit card costs. You don't right. pay so thirty percent. So it's even that's what ninety five percent profit margin there. You know. Mm, so that so, that explains a lot of the pushing towards. That's why every uh, publisher developer wants their own store. That's why yes. they really want you to install Uplay or um, Origin or whatever it is. And that's why they all have uh, the same one. Because obviously, if they sell through Steam, I don't know how much Steam takes. I'm guessing it's 30% like everyone it's else. It's about that, yeah. Yeah. So, wow. Okay. That's that's really interesting. I'm guessing this is a, a, a trend that's going to keep uh, going uh, for the foreseeable Without future. Without a doubt, yeah. yeah. All right. Thank you very much. Uh, let's move on uh, to the quicker little tidbits of news. Uh, but before we do that, a quick thank you to Flex Mundo from the US who left a review on iTunes. He said, love it. Pixels is a great news aggregator for video games. Learned about Patrick through <laughs> learned about Patrick through his Overwatchers podcast, but extremely happy with this one as well. Certainly makes it easy to keep up with the video game news, and that's what we aim to do. So thank you for uh, getting it and uh, telling us that we achieve our goal. Um, that it was a very kind review. Thank you very much, Flexmundo. If you want to help us out a little bit, just you know. Go out on social network. You know what? Forget about iTunes for today. Just go out on social networks and uh, spam your friends. Well, don't spam. Just once. Uh, tell your friends, hey, check out this podcast. It's pretty cool. And tell them why they should listen. If you wish to give us a hand. If you don't, it's fine. Just keep listening. We'll be okay. Um, all right. Uh, quicker news. Uh, a few announcements. Uh, a few things here and there. Um, Daniel, you know that the, this segment, you just you can interrupt me at any time if you want to uh, say something about uh, the the bit of news I'm discussing. Sure. Um, first, Civilization Six has been announced. It's it's going to be released uh, very quickly. Uh, for it seems like games nowadays are announced two years before they're released. Um, this one is going to be available October 21st. So it sort of follows the Fallout 4 model, uh, which was announced only a few months before it was released. Um, goes back to a more traditional uh, civilization model uh, after Beyond Earth. And uh, a lot of people looking forward to it. I'm not a... You know, I never got into the Civ franchise, so uh, I... Not sure what to make of it, but I'm sure a lot of people will be very excited about this. Um, Battlefield 1 is going uh, to World War 1, sort of taking the opposite direction of... Um, What's-its-face? Uh, 
Modern Warfare, no, Infinite Warfare, Call of Duty. Mm-hmm. Um, so why not Battlefield 1? A lot of people, I mean, the, the marketing messaging is all about like how brutal and visceral the fighting is going to be um, because the vehicles are a lot slower and the, yeah, why not? Uh, Battlefield hasn't known the amount of success that Call of Duty has in the past few years, but... You know, um, I'm. It's kind of the, the kind of game that I keep an eye out for, but not a very attentive eye, I'd say. I'd agree, and I'd say that this is the first one that I'm actually quite interested in, purely due to the the setting and the, the kind of battles that might take place. You strike me as someone that's his, interested in in history and the the <laughs> history of uh, warfare. Yeah, that's so, true. Yeah, yeah. yeah um, no, I, I like my history. Yeah, so that actually that's an interesting. You know, I, I initially when I saw the um, the trailer, I don't know why I thought it was some kind of maybe because of the, the the color scheme or the way it was edited. I thought it was some kind of dystopian, uh, you know, early twentieth century setting, uh, like non realistic. But apparently, it's very it's absolutely like realistic as the battlefield games are. Um, so in that. In that sense, it's also uh, World War One is one of the conflicts that hasn't been explored um, to a large extent in the video game industry. So that could be interesting for that reason as well. Uh, Dishonored 2 is launching in November. We heard about it uh, last E3, I think. We got a trailer. Um, it's going to be launching in November. That's uh, I'm way more interested in this one. I enjoyed Dishonored 1 for, I think, 10, 15 hours. I liked it a lot. I didn't play to the end, but it was uh, definitely an interesting concept, and it was also developed by Arcane Studio, which is a French developer. So, you know, a little bit of French pride there. Um, so, yeah, looking forward to that one as well. Um, Persona 5, we were talking about Japanese games, uh, Persona 5, I've, you know, talked about this game a lot on this show, uh, I'm really looking forward to it, we have a release date, that's September 15th, in Japan though, so, I don't know when it's going to be coming out to the West, maybe at the same time, maybe with slight delay, they've certainly delayed the game enough that they should be ready with the uh, localization, Um, but we'll see. It's going to be a packed, a really packed uh, fall season, though. We have WoW Legion coming out uh, uh, August 30th, Final Fantasy 15, September 30th, and we have all of those traditional titles uh, in October and November. Uh, If you thought last year was packed... Holy crap, this year is going to be pretty hectic as well. Uh, Titanfall 2, again, another game I enjoyed the first, uh, 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 the first one of, and that didn't sort of keep my attention. I think it kept no one's attention long enough to develop into something big. But the second one could be an opportunity for uh, Respawn, which... It was founded by the developers uh, from um, Infinity Ward, which we've talked about last uh, episode. But um, so, yeah, that that could be a big thing, too. And they're developing a uh, Star Wars game, too. We don't have a date for that one, but they they know their stuff. So that could be interesting as well. Um, EA have been saying that they want to release one Star Wars game every year, which is... Um, Good for Star Wars fans, I guess. Um, but, but 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 it shows that they're really investing in this in this partnership with Disney. And so we're going to have, a, I think, is it a new Battlefront next next year? Then um, another game after that. Then the one from Respawn. So they've got a lot of games in the pipeline. 
um, under the Star Wars brand. So do you think it's possible we see the one... So as you mentioned, Battlefront uh, uh, 2, I guess, is coming out in 2017. That's been confirmed. Um, do you think we see the Titanfall, uh, the Respawn uh, Star Wars game uh, this year? So I don't think it'll be this year. They mentioned mm. um, what, what EA said was that Battlefront is 2017. Right. And then the, the action Star Wars game, I think it's... Is it Visceral who are developing it? I can't remember. Mm. Um, I think it's them. Um, but then they'll release their game in 2018. So it seems to me that this Titanfall, sorry, um, Respawn one, might be mm. either in between those, maybe as a spawner game or something, mm. even though they've, they've said it is quite big. Um, yeah. Or it might be 2019 then. So wow. I, I'm not sure. But but, but they, they've certainly said one game each year. So which game Star is Wars it now. this year then? Which game is it in 2016? Yeah, good point. Could be this. Could be this one. Yeah, maybe. Um, we'll have to see. Yeah, E three is not far away. Yeah, E three is coming. It'll, There's going to be, be a lot of that. A lot of Star Wars at E three, I'm sure. Um, uh, Mass Effect Andromeda uh, has been delayed for to early 2017. Uh, so if you were looking forward to it this holiday season, it's not happening. But as we've mentioned, uh, the holiday season is going to be packed. So I'm sure you'll be able to, um, you know, you'll have time to uh, play other games. And that's a good thing. Um, Disney, we just talked about them for Star Wars. Um, they're getting out of the video games market. Specifically, they're uh, closing down Avalanche Software and uh, ending the um, Infinity uh, series. The the Infinity, you know, the Toys to Life. Apparently, I, I it seems like they're not uh, the 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 genre. The fad is winding down. Maybe after a very glorious few years, uh, or at least for Disney, uh, they're shutting down that operation and moving to a, an exclusively licensed model for their uh, games on their IPs um, is, I mean, it, it's interesting for Disney. I'm curious about the toys to life genre is, is Activision still making uh, buttloads of money with the, um, Oh, what's the thing? Uh, Skylanders? Super, the Skylanders. There you go. Uh, is it slowing down, or are they still making a lot of money? I didn't. I don't think I've seen numbers on that specifically. I mean, the the market started off really well with Skylanders uh, back in 2011, right? And since then, it's it's just been constantly growing. However, what we have seen in the past couple of years um, is that it's kind of stopped growing as such. So, what that means is that there's 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 less dollar sales for each individual um, publisher in that area. As, so, I mean, as market, more come in, I guess, yeah. Exactly, yeah. So the market as a whole is worth 1.7 billion now. And that includes, you know, toys and software. If we look at Disney last year, they made about 600 million, I think, in that in that genre. Um, That's a lot year, of money. Why are it's they a lot, stopping? Yeah, it's a lot. Um, and then this year, they only made 500 million. So it was about a 20% de decrease. And to be honest... They was they were the leaders in, in this area. They were the leaders in the toys toys life market in 2015. So they've actually exited exited the market at a time when they were number one, which is odd in a way because you you know you don't expect the market leader to suddenly say actually you know what we don't want to do this anymore. It's it's mm. it's not working out. But when you do look at it, at it look at it a bit closer, you can kind of see that well for one the toys to life market is. It's kind of leveling off. It's not growing as much. 
Disney in turn are then generating less. And bearing in mind, this is coming off a year where they had Star Wars come out. Um, and so even with those Star Wars toys, for example, um, and that and Disney Infinity and you know all the other games, it, it didn't grow sales as they thought. Um, so that's why they've kind of said, you know what, let's focus on licensing now. Because when you look at their licensing deals, look at Battlefront, for example. It sold 14 million copies um, because mm. EA were the developers. They published it. They marketed it really well. Um, and it's done really great for them. So it might be that you know they're going to cut back on all these distribution costs of selling toys to retail, of developing software on top to work with these toys, which costs a lot of money. And just saying, actually, you know what? Let's just license our IP. Mm. Get someone else to do all the hard work. We'll get some money in return. Win-win for us. But right. unfortunately, that means you know three hundred people now are losing their jobs, and and you know it could also mean that the toys life market. I, I guess for others, it could mean there's more dollars available for them, so there's there's more opportunity now. But it could also mean that it is a bit it's of a fad. Like, yeah, yeah, it's winding down. I mean, it remains to see what what happens. There's two opinions on this really, and so I think the next few years will be interesting to watch. I don't think it'll go away. We're always going to have toys to life. Um, but it might be a bit smaller or it might be even bigger. We'll want we'll mm. to see. Yeah, it's. I, I'm sure Activision is sort of rubbing their hands now. They're like, yes, <laughs> we get all of those, uh, those all, the the entire market. I mean, I know Amiibos are, are big, but certainly um, Skylanders are, is bigger. Um, but yeah, it, it's really interesting to see that Disney is, you're right, the, with the uh, release of Star Wars, I'm sure they were expecting more uh from that segment and i heard i think it was on on dlc um where they they actually manufactured uh two million of those toys and only that's in quotes uh sold a million of them so Mm -hmm. it's all of those headaches that you have to contend with um where you like you have to decide how many even you know deciding how many you manufacture and sort of estimate the the amounts you can sell and develop them and when you have on the other hand you look at licensing your ip to you know good partners that are going to be creating quality product and you can still have creating um oversight and do good stuff and then you just rake in the 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 royalties it seems like you understand that decision a little bit, uh, a little bit more for sure. And um, and yeah, Disney. I guess since they are uh, the overlords of all things pop and geek culture, now they can, <laughs> uh, you know, afford to throw away a few hundred thousand, a few hundred million dollars. It doesn't yes. matter to them yeah. as much as it does to regular companies. Yeah, um, I, I wish they'd give some to me, though. But uh, Well, you know, <laughs> you could ask. You don't know. Maybe uh, yeah, you I haven't could, asked. Yeah. Let's try. Um, Nintendo is going to start producing their own movies uh, over the next few years. It's not going to happen immediately, but that's that was a little bit of a head-scratcher for me. They haven't. We haven't seen a lot of Nintendo-based, uh, you know, Nintendo IP-based movies, uh, except for the dreadful Mario movie from, you know, decades ago, <laughs> which... Everyone, you know. I, I don't remember that one, Patrick. I, <laughs> I seem to have erased it from my memory. So, as have many people. Um, but yeah, it, I think it's more of an announcement that they would like to develop uh, movies, and that that could be exciting. I mean, Mario, it could work in a cartoony type thing for kids for sure. But there are some um, properties that could be really interesting for even older geeks. I mean, obviously, if a Mario 
thing happens, I'm going to want to watch it. But uh, things like Zelda or Metroid or, you know, these kinds of things could actually make for interesting franchises for, you know, the, in from the likes of uh, the, the ones that uh, Disney is stewarding at the moment. So mm-hmm. I... Yeah, I think that could be interesting for sure at a time when Nintendo is looking for a renewal of their um of their business. So Exactly. I think that this could definitely be if it's done right, that is. And I think Nintendo want to do it right because they've mentioned that that they want to do as much as they can in house. So obviously they're gonna be working with partners on these movies. But you know, if they can oversee it properly and, and make sure that it, it works in line with how they want their IP to be utilized then it can work well. And then one other thing I want to say is that I guess anyone who's read my blog will know that I talk about this a lot, which is Nintendo's shift from traditional revenue to new revenue. Because what we've seen from them in the past is they're a games company that makes consoles, and that's it. So all of their revenue comes from you know 3DS, Wii U, Wii DS, etc. And that was great 10 years ago when they were doing really, really well in that area. Now with a DS, sorry, with a 3DS and Wii U, they're not as successful. And so what what we're seeing is that revenues for them are shrinking considerably, but 95% of that is still from you know the video games industry, the the um, the sorry the video games console industry to, to be more specific. So what they're doing now with all these movies, with this licensing, with you know merchandise. Um, switch over to Amiibos, for example, and then also in mobile, their their, um, shift there, is that they're trying to open up a a whole new revenue stream for the company so that they have something to fall back on. If, for example, the the console business doesn't work out this gen or next gen, which it hasn't so far this gen, hopefully they'll do better next gen. But what we are starting to see now is is that shift towards these new revenue streams like uh, Amiibo, mobile, um, even downloads digital content as well, and then in the future, movies. And mm. so that could mark the start of Nintendo being an entertainment company rather than just being a console gaming company, if that makes sense. Right. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think a lot of us uh, from within the, the gamers, gamers, uh, you know, public, it looks at Nintendo is looking at the NX and thinking, oh, this is going to be what this saves them, right? It's It's make or break on uh, the nx and you're right i think they need to not have all their eggs in the console uh, basket they they need to do other things and sure mobile is one of those things but it's looking like they're looking at other things as well and movies could absolutely make sense in the context of uh entertainment companies i mean certainly disney has expanded on i'm talking about disney because it famously uh, Mario had become a more well-known character than Mickey, uh, Mickey Mouse, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. for children in the U.S., which was unheard of for decades. And so they have a stable of IPs that could be incredibly popular in other areas than video games, especially at a time where uh, their video game reach is shrinking. So, yeah, it could absolutely be a very interesting direction that they take and it's also very interesting in that context that they have chosen um kimishima who is a financials guy and a business uh, Mm -hmm. you know making deals guy possibly uh to lead the company rather than um you know a, a game uh person like miyamoto for example who who was uh 
thought sure. of as a potential candidate for the presidency. And, you know, he also apparently doesn't really want it. So that's another thing. But, um, yeah, interesting stuff. And the good thing is about its expansion outside of console games as well, is that not only are they going to be able to send in to you know, existing customers who buy Nintendo consoles, but it means that they can reach uh, a gaming audience outside of Nintendo and maybe bring them in um, right. either through mobile or through these mo- through these movies or or through toys and stuff like that and merchandise. So it, it could work both ways where, yes, they're um, catering to their current audience, but then they're also bringing in more people um, to the whole ecosystem. Right. Yeah, yeah, no, it makes sense. It 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 just has to be done right. And yes, as much as yes. I want Nintendo to do it right, I'm also a little bit concerned about how traditionally Japanese they are. And they mm-hmm. seem to have a little bit of a hard time looking outside of uh the way they already do things to how other people are being successful um, at those things. And that would be the only concern for me for them. They are incredibly traditional and closed off. Uh, But at the same time, if you look at history, Japan has also known um, the most traditional parts of Japan has known how and when to uh, look outside to get the best ideas and do things properly. So maybe it could happen there too. And what I'll say about that finally is just, if you look at something like Splatoon, which is... As you said earlier, you know, for Mitsu Rota, the game of the year, it's the best-selling game in Japan uh, on Wii U, which is a, it, which is a surprise because that's a new IP. You know, you don't expect that from yeah. a new IP. Um, it's done exceptionally well overseas. You know, one in every three Wii U owners now have a, a copy of Splatoon, which they are either actively playing or, or have played. And that was actually driven by the younger members within the Nintendo um, who basically wanted to create a new IP that had global appeal and appealed to you know everyone, whether it's children or adults or you know teenagers, and and they've done really really well with that. So if they can replicate that whilst also taking on board the um, the gameplay model they've introduced of having that live service, you know, where they've got multiplayer and everything. Mm. Um, I think if they can do that with a few new games on NX, that could really attract people over to the console. Yeah, no, you're right. That that Splatoon example is really a great example of them doing things right in a new area, and uh, exactly. they it, it, while keeping the uh, very specific uh, uh, focus on gameplay and design and cuteness yes, and approachability yes. for because Splatoon is a third person shooter. It's a shooter, and exactly, they managed yeah. to do it like in the same way that they did uh, Mario Kart. You know, it was a racing game, but it was so approachable and cute and fun. Um, Splatoon is a shooter, but in the same way, it's approachable and cute and fun. And it, it's a great game. So, yeah, definitely there is a lot of hope. And, and Nintendo keeping, you know, their console as their main, you know, thing they do and and building around it uh, could be very interesting. Um, they There's... I, I don't know if it was already at that price, but the Nintendo 2DS is 80 bucks now in the US. Um, if you haven't played, uh, there are a few excellent 3DS games and getting that the console at that price, you don't care about 3D on the 3DS. Um, so yeah. the 2DS uh-huh. is, uh, is going to be great for that. There are a few games like uh, Zelda, A Link Between Worlds, and uh, Mario 3D on, on 3DS. Um, is... The, 
both of those I would recommend to anyone who's ever liked uh, Nintendo games or who's ever who's interested in in game design and you know playing great just great games uh, and that's a good deal so just wanted to mention it um, there's a World Esports Association now. Um, so that's actually the ESL and a bunch of uh, big teams that got together and created the uh, WESA. And what they want to do is basically, for video games, uh, what other big um, uh, federations of sports are doing. In the US, you know, it, it would be uh, the NBA, uh, the NFL, in in more globally uh, what uh, the the fifa is fifa um and uh, it seems like it's great ambitions uh i don't think it's quite as big as they want to make it seem uh, they don't have exclusivity for example but um for the teams that are within their uh, association but I think it's very interesting as we keep seeing uh, esports grow into a more uh, mature industry. It's sort of a step into the, uh, uh, you know, something, again, we keep talking on this show is the path towards making this into a serious industry that reaches beyond the people that are already uh, interested in esports and and you know we often say esports has been growing non-stop for the past 10 years really but um it's 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 still there's still this this step it needs to take to become really mainstream and this is a, a step in that step i guess um, and by the way, Activision Blizzard has struck a deal with Facebook Live, which is Facebook is looking at growing their uh, live streaming video business. Uh, so it's not that surprising. They're looking for people to partner with. But Activision Blizzard, with which uh, opened a e- an esports division specifically uh, last year, um, is going to be streaming some of their esports on Facebook Live, including a, I think it's a Call of Duty tournament. I don't follow Call of Duty esports very closely but uh, in June uh, that one is going to be broadcast on Facebook Live which obviously has a lot of reach Uh, but it's got to be interesting to see how wide it goes um, for streaming for you know Activision Blizzard streaming on Facebook and I'm Personally, I'm very interested in Blizzard games, so I would be curious to see how that translates into uh, the Blizzard properties and maybe even uh, the BlizzCon tournaments happening in November this year, uh, which, you know, I'm always a big fan of, so... Uh, and finally, talking about Blizzard, um, Overwatch uh, has had its open beta, and uh, it was the, uh, tell me if I'm wrong, Daniel, but it was the biggest open beta uh, ever, right? That, I, I Honestly, I didn't expect that, but they had 9.7 million players. Is it the biggest one ever? I, I think it is. It, it's definitely the biggest one this generation. And then I can't really think of anything last gen that would have rivaled it, so... Right. Um, yeah, I would say it is. It, you know, it was it was huge, wasn't it? Yeah. So nine point seven million people played the beta, um, and they played uh, in total uh, eighty one million hours. That means an average of eight hour, about you know more or less, a little bit over eight hours uh, per player. Obviously, some people didn't play a lot, but. A lot of people played a lot more, me included. Uh, I like to joke around that I represent about half of those 81 million hours played during the open beta. But uh, um, yeah, so eight hours on average 
per player, that's a lot of time spent playing for someone who tries out a beta they might not be interested uh, in. Sure, sure. Um, And then you compiled uh, a bunch of numbers about the other betas from this generation. Um, I I can go over them, but maybe it's better if you do, since you're the one who who wrote them down, about uh, Destiny, The Division, Battlefront, etc., yeah, sure. So, so as you were saying, this is the biggest uh, open beta of of the generation, if not ever, um, with nine point seven million players. So, I mean, Overwatch has always been compared to Battleborn, which is uh, you know Take Two's Gearbox Software's game, um, and so that open beta only had two million um, people playing, yeah. which, which is, is still respectable. But, it's uh... respectable, but it's a huge difference when you think about it. Mm. And you know, if you go back, maybe six months or a year, these are the two games people are saying, you know, these two are going to be close, it's going to be a battle between those two to see which comes out on top. And, and I think it, it's clear at this point, especially with the the sales you've seen for Battleborn already, that Overwatch will be the the leader by an overwhelming amount. But um, yeah, just going back to that, that those open beta numbers, so you've got um, Destiny, I think, which was 4.7 million, um, I think, in, in the open beta that they had. Um, the division had 6.4 million. Battlefront had 9.5 million. So, and, and that was just over. That was with the hype of um, of the movie as well. Of the yeah. movie, right? Yeah. Um, and and you also mentioned something really interesting is that um, a lot of people might think, well, you know, the open beta is for it's free. Anyone can go and play. Does it really translate into sales? Uh, and all of those games you mentioned have more active players now than they had in the uh, players in the open betas, their respective open betas. So it seems yeah, that it does been, to an extent, yeah. There's been this um, huge debate over the past kind of decade where game publishers are saying, should we release a demo? Should we release uh, no demo? Should we release a beta? Should What, what should we release? And, and this gen, they've all sort of settled on having a beta, even, even if it's a single-player game. You know, for example, like Hitman or, or, or Neo from from Koei Tecmo. You know, we've seen that they've they put out not a demo as such, but but a, a beta where you can test the game for a bit and and play around with it and see how it is. And and what we've seen this gen is that they've been extremely successful um, in getting people to download and and play, but also in getting them to buy the game afterwards. As as you said, um, I did tweet out that you know Destiny now, for example has over 25 million registered users. The Division is almost at 10 million. Battlefront is over 14 million. And it might not be all the same people, but, you know, everyone who tried the beta has has, has bought it in the sense that it, there's now more people playing right. the game that played the beta. Mm. Um, so, yeah, betas have been very successful, and I think we're going to see a lot more of them moving forward. Um, and, and Overwatch, definitely, uh, this is going to be, in my opinion at least, one of the best openings for for Blizzard in a while, since probably Diablo 3, I think. Yeah, so, yeah, that's an interesting discussion as well, because I've been engrossed by the the game for a while, and people are getting sick of me um, talking about it. Although, now that people have tried it, I think that a lot of people have come to me and said, all right, I get it now. Do you know what I actually admit to you, Patrick? I actually admit that I've I've never played it. I don't play the beta. You don't? Well, I, I can understand that philosophically you don't want to play betas. That I can No, no, no. Uh, no, no. I, 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 I don't mind betas. I just didn't play this one. Ah, specifically because um, you hate it? No, maybe. Okay. No, um, no, I'm kidding. Um, basically, I, I, just, 
I, I, maybe I didn't have time. Maybe I just didn't bother. I just, I just didn't download it. And and then when it was over, you know, it's over. And yeah. It's and to be good... honest with you, I I might get the full game. I'm just I, I'm not interested in it 100 right now. Maybe when I play it, I'll go. Actually, this is a really great game. Um, I've seen some videos, but I haven't really, you know, dived in and and actually looked at it properly yet. You know, it's so. I've been uh, talking about it for a while and I sort of got into that place where I was wondering, am I in love with this game because it's just a game that speaks to me or is it just that great of a game? Obviously, some people are not going to like it. I completely understand this, but I sort of was wondering myself if if I wasn't sort of uh, very subjectively loving the game and what the open beta uh, has shown me is that uh, I it seems to actually be a justified love. I mean, a lot of people have come to me saying, I didn't think I was going to like it. I'm not interested in shooters. I'm not interested in multiplayer only games. Uh, And it ended up, I ended up liking it. So uh, I think that Daniel, once it is available, um, a friend of yours will get it and you'll go play it at their place. And I think you might uh, like it. So um, that's what everyone has been saying to me that, you know, it's, it's a fun game. And yeah, at the end of the day, that, that's what everyone wants. You mm. know, just just something that they can play mm. that's fun and that you know isn't overly serious. And you just yeah. just play it and the, have a good time. You know, the surprising thing about this game is that you're having just fun where you didn't think you would like the competitive aspects seems like it would sour you and maybe after you know 100 hours it does it did for me a little bit i became sort of like yeah i have to win uh but at first like for the first first few dozens of hours which is you know a good deal if you pay for for 40 or 60 dollars game uh you you just have it's plain marvel and fun and that's not the experience you think you're going to get for a multi multiplayer uh competitive games so um yeah anyway it seems like they have something special um i sort of toyed with the idea of of giving out numbers predictions for um for the game uh you mentioned diablo 3 when it was released on pc only it was the one of the biggest pc releases uh you know first day sales um in history it sold 3.5 millions uh but there are a lot of different elements here uh diablo 3 had diablo 1 and 2 with very dedicated fans um blizzard games people just pine for them and buy all of them on day one and then maybe souls uh sales aren't as big in the you know the the subsequent days and weeks uh but here it's also available on consoles so it's a much bigger market yes so it's impossible to predict the 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 numbers it's going to it's going to make, but um, it seems like it's yeah, shaping it's, up to be a big, a big seller. It's it's going to be big, and yeah. I think part of that comes down to the fact that it's not just on PC; it's on console as well, right. and it's getting a retail release. Mm. Um, I know, obviously, I've, I've been talking about digital for you know half the podcast, but but retail still matters a lot um, when it comes to console games, and so the fact that it's 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 full price, it's there, it, it's going to sell a lot. Yeah, it's one of the the very um, misunderstood thing about Activision Blizzard is their distribution network. It is insane. It is, you know, it rivals that of companies like Sony and PlayStation that actually have to sell physical consoles and products. Uh, the, mm-hmm. the distribution network of Activision, you know, Blizzard by itself is doing well, but combined with Activision... It is a very strong uh, asset that the company has. So 
definitely that is not to be discounted in the uh you know marketing power uh, of the of the company because still again for us who are gamer gamers um we look at things and we're like well we'll just download it what are you talking about but yeah, exactly. For a lot of people, you still, when you want to buy a game, you go to the store, you go to Walmart, you go to Best Buy. Do they sell games at Best Buy? Can't remember. Yeah, yeah um, sure. Yeah, so there you go. And you're like, uh, can I please have this game I've heard about in, you know, on the internet or in the movies? I've seen a trailer or my son has asked me to get him. And uh, if you can't find it there, maybe you don't buy it. So, yeah, it definitely plays a role in those big releases. Yeah, I mean, seventy to eighty percent of games are still sold at retail for mm. console. Yeah, so, so it's it's still a majority by far. Yeah. Anyway, we'll have a re- uh, an answer to those um, to those numbers. And by the way, uh, I mentioned this on the instance, which is another show I do about Blizzard games, specifically with uh, Scott Johnson. Many of you will have heard of it, but uh, I I'm wondering they extended the beta by a day uh, at the end. I'm wondering if they weren't trying to reach that ten million mark. Um, I, I have a suspicion it's it's possible um, but yeah we'll see what happens when it releases in uh, a week now and um, I if you know we'll know very quickly because they will p- publish a day one sales press releases if it does sure. you know moderately well and which I think it will uh, we'll get a day one sales press release that's standard practice so um I'm sure we'll have more information fairly soon. Uh, day one press release, week one press release, it might very well happen. Um, and uh, if you're excited about that game, you have probably already seen the Dragons uh, short, animated short, about the uh, Shimada brothers, Hanzo and Genji. I loved it. I thought it was great. Uh, there are uh, launch celebrations organized by uh, Coca-Cola in the U.S., and in Europe, and I'm in Japan, and there's one in Helsinki. There's one in the the movie theater that I go to to see my movies when I'm in Helsinki. And I'm in Japan. Why did I come to Japan when Overwatch is being released? Oh, my God, I'm so frustrated. Always book a flight, can't you? You know, spend some day. Yeah, I could, you know, I could go back to Helsinki for, uh, I, I'm, I'm scheduled to go back in, uh, uh, in June, in early June, but I think okay, I would yeah. have time to do a quick, uh, trip to Helsinki on the 24th to, to, you know, just, if it's only a few hours, so I could go there for the night and come back to Kyoto afterwards. <laughs> that could happen. Yeah, if you want. Yeah. And, um, so the, uh, WoW Legion beta has uh, started, and the reason I'm mentioning it is that I'm getting really hyped for uh, World of Warcraft in a way I haven't been in months, and I talked about it quite a bit on the instance as well, so uh, if you want to hear my thoughts on the World of Warcraft uh, Legion beta that just started, just go to listen to uh, the instance. Uh, it's available at frog- frogpants.com. It's the... Uh, main uh world of warcraft slash blizzard games podcast in the world well it's good um and finally uh before we close this show off um the uncharted spoiler discussion has to happen so we gave you our quick impressions uh, initially this is going to be spoiler filled so if you don't want to listen to that you know what let's uh, tell again uh, the listeners where they can find your stuff daniel uh, in case they want to leave uh, before we start talking spoilers yeah sure so um as i mentioned at the start the the place that i'm, I'm probably most active would be twitter 
Um, so my Twitter handle is um, at JugaEX. So that's spelled um, ZH or ZH if you're in America. Z-H-U-G-E uh, <laughs> and then E-X. Um, I'll have, the, I'll have the, the link yeah, to the Twitter in the Yeah, you can probably put it in the notes, can't yeah. you? Yeah. And then I've got a blog website as well, which is just ZugaEX.com. Uh, um, and that's where I put all my kind of long form thoughts. So that's just pages and pages of of uh, thoughts and articles and stuff like that. But cool. uh, but yeah, Twitter is where you can find me if you want to contact me. Excellent. Uh, and for me, it is uh, not Patrick on Twitter, not Patrick on Facebook. And this show is at Frenchspin.com, along with another uh, another one, which you might enjoy if you like international news and politics. Uh, and uh, of course, if you enjoy um, Overwatch, you can listen to Overwatchers at amove.tv the show I do with uh, Garrett Weindrell, my good friend, and uh, Chan Man V, my new friend. Um, so you can find that at amove.tv. We're certainly going to be talking a lot about this stuff happening. Uh, oh, and by the way, there's a rumor that that launch event for Overwatch might reveal a new character, which I'm very excited about because I love that game. Uh, all right. Uh, now, Uncharted, Uncharted 4, uh, spoiler-filled review. Please stop listening now if you haven't played through uh, the whole game because we are not going to hold off on anything. Anything's fair game. You have been given ample warning. We're going to spoil. All right. Uh, I guess huh, I'm going to go over some of the things that I loved, some of the things that I didn't love. Um, as we mentioned I thought it was a great experience. It's a great Uncharted. Uh, I did think, however, that um, there were some pacing issues in the last two-thirds of the game. I think 15 hours is about the length of the game. Um, and the first five hours are spectacular. And this is very personal. I've seen a lot of people argue that the beginning was a little bit more boring and that um but the first five hours for me were perfectly paced there were you know changes in environments in um the gameplay was spot on the the storytelling was captivating um and then basically when they get to uh was it ireland or scotland i forget um, scotland scotland there you go um it it it's the the pacing sort of dies down for me it's still a good uncharted but it doesn't reach the levels of of uh perfect tweaking that it does in the beginning and that was sort of took me off a little bit uh, out of the experience i still you know i did never got to a point where i was i didn't want to play because i was bored it it didn't bore me at any point but it was still less impactful for me i did you how, how did you feel about that that aspect of it the pacing and how uh you know the action was set throughout the 15 hours i think i mean i, I can agree that the pacing was off on some of it but i'd say it was more towards the beginning of the game to be honest um i mean it, it was good that you were able to you know visit all these different locations um and such as uh, i guess a short amount of time because when you think about it, there were kind of what three or four different openings to the to the game, um, you know, where you were back as as young Drake, and then yeah, um, and again in the future, etc., um, and then also playing a bit of a story from later on. Yeah. So, yeah. so I mean, I thought that was good, but I think straight after that bit, it kind of it just didn't feel right to me. I think I think the Scotland level, yeah, you're right. It, it was a bit 
um, uh, the pacing was off there. But, but the middle of the game I thought was really great. The only gripe I had was towards the end of the game, where it might have gone on a bit too long with the whole um, iron stuff when um, his brother starts to go back to the cave and stuff. Um, so that that kind of area there. Mm. Uh, but but ultimately, I thought the pacing was really good. And I think the good really? thing that they did um, was that they didn't have it, um, you know, enemy after enemy after enemy. It was more kind of, you know, you go to an area and there's enemies where you'd expect them. So they're not all just kind of lined up for you to shoot. Um, they're all they're all kind of, you know, known areas, and they're all in the places you'd expect to find them, right. um, which which I thought was was good at least. Yeah, it's. I mean, we're going to talk about the story. I really want to get into that because it's a very important part of the game as well. But uh, for me, that when they get on the island, especially, it felt like it was one giant similar thing, and it was kind of you know they they go over. It's yet another lost city, and they sort of, in a meta way, they make fun of that. But and and that's funny that they do. It's very self-aware, but it doesn't change the fact that it's still yet another lost city. And you're on that island with similar-ish uh, environments for I I think like the last third of the game. It doesn't change almost yeah. at all, right? It's it's still that luxurious verdant uh jungle type thing which is which looks amazing i thought it was superb looking um and by the way that might be a good spot to say this best looking video game ever right like oh yeah everything everything if you take into account any type of game this is i don't know how they managed to squeeze out so much beautiful visual uh, of the the playstation 4 i thought it was incredible what i really loved about the visuals is that you know you'd climb up to maybe a tower or something so using the bell towers in the as an example mm. um you know you climb up to the top of that and you look out over the view and you'd see you know there's a market below you there's loads of roads and houses and and, and cars moving and and you know the you can see boats in the distance you know going off and then you know 10 minutes later you're driving a jeep through this town yeah. that you've just seen from up there, and you're kind of going. I thought that was maybe just a you know a, a picture background or something that they had, um, but it, yeah, it looks hundred percent real. And then you drive through it, and you go, "This is actually real. This whole thing has been designed." You know, obviously, I don't think they load the whole city when yeah. you're on the bell tower, but um, but the fact that you can see all this and then actually play in it, uh, yeah, that that was great for me. Mm. Um, yeah, no, I agree. I agree. I think. And that is a little bit lost, I think, in those jungle levels. And yes, you have these these incredible vistas and you travel through stuff and, and then you turn around and you see everywhere you've traveled and the, the view distance is amazing. And you see like like the sea is, you, oh, you yeah. turn around and you look at the sea and you're like, I feel the, the, the salt of the sea on my skin. Like it's it's amazing the way they've... they've um, uh, you know, shown all of this. Um, but I sort of wish that that whole last third... Was a bit shorter. Yeah, yeah. I guess, you know, I'm not going to say the same thing 15 different ways, but yeah, I think that last third could have been compressed into a, a half of what it was. And and you're like, a lot of people have been saying that that mystery was fascinating to them. You know, the pirates that stole the money and then they... But for me, it felt like, obviously the big pirate, you know, the chief pirate, president pirate, 
just stole its his constituents <laughs> money and they weren't happy and then the the founders killed everyone and then the the partners killed the founders and then the president pirate Avery dude killed his friend and he wanted all the money for himself and I see how it works as a metaphor for the obsession for the treasure that yeah, you sure. lose yourself into but it's still like it's not it it wasn't an interesting mystery to me it was just Obviously, the pirate pirated, right? And yes. uh, did I mean, you? you? You could guess it. You could guess the story at least halfway through, um, in terms of what might could have happened. Yeah, and 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 the fact is that I think even even the main character, so you know Nathan Drake actually says during the story, "This is what happened," and you go, oh, "Okay," and then at the end of the game, it goes, "Oh, I was right," and you're like, "Yeah, okay, <laughs> well, yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> I guess you were." So. Um, because I think he says, doesn't he? Like, oh, they must have revolted, and and then you know they they must have stolen the treasure, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And and you kind of you work out quickly where yeah. the ending is heading. I mean, you don't get it hundred percent, obviously, because there's small small bits that you still need to work out. But um, but I think I think anyway, the the story, the way they did it was was quite well done. Um, was it the most interesting story ever? Probably not. Was it um, was it well paced? I'd say it was. I'd say mm. I'd say that they they kind of even though the, it, it was something you could guess, they still paced it quite well and they, and they kind of made you discover each bit in each section, mm. um, which is yeah. quite good. Yeah, no, I I think... Mm, yeah, I, I wasn't a fan of this part of the story. I guess there's the other part of the story, which is, you know, Nate and his brother. And yes. they didn't... They didn't... You know, they could have ruined it. They could have made... Sam into aha actually I was really evil and and they didn't do it right but he was still I was a little bit disappointed when he manipulated Drake into coming on the adventure that I don't think that was yes. necessary I would have loved for Sam and Drake to be actual genuinely loving brothers who would do anything for one another uh, and and not fall into the the trope of Oh, but actually that, that you know, drug lord, I, I invented or, you know, I invented that story because why yeah. did he need to be... To, to, and same with that moment, that pivotal moment in the story where finally moron Drake who lies to his wife. I, for the life of me, I did not... That did not work for me. I didn't understand why he had to lie to his wife and and pretend and like and you see the other again it's this self-awareness the other two are like drake what are you doing like why are you lying to her just tell her and and, and then and, he's lying to them and, and then <laughs> yeah, well it's like yes i understand that you might be concerned that she you know she wouldn't uh, uh you know she would be pissed because you had to go there but aren't you risking even more by lying to her? What did you think was going to happen? You just go in the last two days and you get the treasure of Avery and you come back and you pretend nothing happened? It's like, <laughs> and, and the fact that his partners tell him, what are you doing, is self-aware, but it doesn't change the fact that he's not making sense, right? So that I didn't quite understand. And in, in a similar way, not in a similar way, but when in that pivotal moment, he decides that, you know, they finally find Sam and they have a moment with the four of us when they're like, well, now we're going home. And Sam is saying, no, 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 we have to get the treasure. And he says, you know, he decides, for me, 
that treasure business is not as important as my life with my wife whom I love. And he says, no, we have to go home. And this is a very powerful moment. Sam says, you know, he, he, he agrees. He's like, you expect it to be a big deal, but he's like, all right. And you feel that he understands it. And he says, all right, I, I'll come with you. I get it. And that's a great moment, I think. But five minutes later, they completely undo it. Why would you have created that incredible moment if it was to just act as if it didn't happen 10 minutes later? Because like, there's like a five meters you know, chasm between the two and you can't like... You, you could jump, but you're not going to because there's a treasure. It, it, I can't yeah, understand that he would change uh, his mind, but uh, it sort of cheapens that moment a little bit, I think. Yeah, I mean, I think the the, the story was, in my opinion, it was it was good, but I think I, I do have to agree with you that there were some, some bits um, where I think they were just kind of twisting the story for the sake of it. Mm. If that makes sense, you know, where they kind of said, well, let's just do this because it looks good and sounds good and, you know, it'll surprise the audience, etc. Mm. Um, and, and that works in some cases. But I, I do think that they could have, as you were saying earlier, for example, you know, shortened that story down, made it where, you know, some of those bits just didn't happen because they didn't need to. Um, and overall, I mean, the story wasn't amazing, but it still was able to captivate me enough, I think, mm. for me to actually, you know, go through the whole story and complete it. And, yeah. and even though, yes, I did guess the ending. Um, and I even guessed that he would go back because, you know, that kind of worked out. You know, if he's, if he's going to lie to his brother once, he'll probably do it again. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, overall, yeah. I think the, the story was still captivating to me. But there, there were definitely a few areas where it just kind of it either dragged on or it just kind of, you know, didn't need to happen. Yeah. Uh, or didn't make sense, perhaps. Yeah, yeah, no, I that's that's I think it was good. It was it could have been there were great moments and it, some moments were a little bit disappointing because they weren't as great. And I think I I keep saying that the first 5 hours were amazing and I think I loved the uh young Nate uh thing. I think it they almost managed to make it work that he never mentioned his brother in like you yes, know, three yeah. games. Oh, it almost, was, you could almost believe it. I was wondering how they were going to do that. And they, they, they yeah. kind of did it okay. You know, yeah. there wasn't any, you wouldn't think that, you know, any of it was wrong. So. Yeah. It, it's a little bit far-fetched that he would never mention yeah. it to his wife <laughs> that he loves again. But, but okay. I, okay. He did, he didn't, it's a very painful thing for him. He, and he still, you know, the first Uncharted game was what, 26 uh 2006 or 2007 so it's been 10 years yeah yeah. Yeah, maybe you know it takes and they've been married for three or four or five and you know it takes time to for him to open up and he's emotionally weird okay all right fine and whatever (laughs) you managed to make that part almost work um but i thought it was it was a great uh that it was varied enough that I, I actually uh, loved every new bit of thing that the game would feed me. You know, the young Drake thing, um, the story when you're playing in the, the prison, and then in, um, in where was it when they're, oh, in Italy, uh, when they're infiltrating the thing and you get introduced to all of these yeah, different characters. Good. I thought that was, that was great. And possibly the best moment ever uh, when 
he has that, uh, well, two moments. When he's in the attic and he's remembering his, yes. his great adventures, ah, oh, it is so charged with emotion because, you know, it's, it's, it's lo- Last of Us levels of gripping your heart and squeezing it a little bit, but at the same time, joyful. I thought that was amazing. And um, and then there's a little bit of melancholy happening at the same time because you you understand that he's not you know he's given up that life but he still wants yes. it and then he comes down and he's with his wife and and they have you know that scene that scene the, was very good ah the looks like just the way the animators managed to make the oh, yeah. eyes express so much. Um, and and the acting is top notch. And then they diffuse the tension by playing that that you know Crash Bandicoot, which it was that was, a, that was a, good. A, yeah Naughty Dog game, which is at a core level it's basically uncharted. <laughs> the, the you know he runs and jumps and jumps over holes, and that's uncharted. And he's playing it and and self referential again in a in a way that works super well. Um, I thought, did you beat I, the level? Uh, I don't think I beat it. Does something special happen when you do? I, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't oh. beat it. I'm not good enough. <laughs> we'll have to, to go and look that up. Yeah, we'll um, have to play that level again and see what happens yeah, if you beat yeah. it. Um, but yeah, I thought that that was such a great beginning to the game. And and then we can't not mention the epilogue. Um, yes. I, you know, when the game ended, I was... I think... Something that worked with Elena as much as I didn't like his relationship to her, I loved that they didn't make... I mean, it would have been offensive. Like, if she was the one telling him, yo, you can't go on adventures, uh, it would have <laughs> been just dumb. But I, I'm glad they didn't even hint, hint at that. They, they they were saying, why didn't you tell me? And why didn't you, you know... Exactly, yeah. Right. It was more about yeah. uh, that side of it than, than yeah. the other. I, she would have supported him, I think. is It would have been a... a, a, a challenge but she would have supported him and and when she says you know he said he says i'm glad you came back for me and she said this time i almost didn't it's like gut-wrenching it's ah this is anyway that so there are definitely moments that that work really really well so i don't want to make it seem like the 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 experience wasn't wasn't really good uh but the epilogue the game ended and you're like, oh, all right, cool. So they have a closure and they're going to go and live on, on legal adventures now. And it's going to be uh, great fun for them. And okay, the game could end there. It's, it's, it's okay. And then the epilogue is sort of what makes it into like, yes, I actually love this game. Kind of like The Last of Us, you know? It feels like uh, Neil Druckmann, who who took the reins of this game after he finished The Last of Us, uh, sort of took it over from Amy Henning, who left uh, and went to work at EA, I believe. Um, And there was a little bit of scandal there, but in the end, I think it, you know, they they had very strong thanks in the credits to her. Yes. Um, That that was nice to to see. Yeah, uh, but anyway, Druckmann. I think the epilogues he he manages to make them perfectly. Um, the 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 kid, and you start playing her, and again, it pulls at your heartstrings, and you 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 play her, and everything you do informs you. Uh, you know, it informs the the life of these characters you've grown to love in the interim between when you you left them. You know, five. 
two minutes ago and now, which is, you know, 15 years later. And, and you see their life uh, going by through the eyes of what you're seeing as uh, Cassie, who is their, their daughters. Yes. It, you know what it makes me feel, think of a little bit? Have you ever seen, um, uh, oh, what was that? Uh, Six Feet Under, that TV know. show. You haven't? No, no. Okay, well, okay. I'm not going to spoil that then. Um, it's a great okay. show. The, the the end sort of made me think of this a little bit. All right, the the people who've seen it will maybe understand what I'm talking about. It's a little sure, bit sure. far fetched, but anyway, it, I think it it really works in giving you closure. And certainly, you know, a thief's end. Um, the title yeah. of this this game uh, is they toy with it a lot during the game, making you think, well, it's going to be, you know, I don't think anyone actually thought they were going to kill off any characters, but maybe, you know... Yeah, I was, I was expecting it, though. I was... Mm. Every time, um, you know, someone was shot or someone was uh, injured or something, I was like, oh, God, he's going to die, isn't he? <laughs> and uh, I was quite relieved that actually, you know, yeah, no one didn't. important died, really. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think the the... When in the end you understand that you know a thief's end, it's Nate is no longer a thief. You know, it's the yes, end of his yes. being a thief. His thieving days are are actually over, and that that works perfectly, just as it did uh, with Among Thieves. I thought you know the the title of uh, Uncharted Two was Among Thieves, and you understand it a certain way when you read the title and you're like, oh, so, you know, there's lots of thieves in the game. and But actually what it means is, you know, no honor among thieves, and that's the central theme of that. You know, there's betrayal, and that's where it, it, it worked really, really well. Um, so I, I've been, you know, doing a monologue for, for 10 minutes. Uh, maybe you want to say a little bit more about what you thought of the game or... I don't know. I could talk about it for much longer. No, it's, it's good that you are because it, it shows that, you know, this, this game is, is one that's worth talking about because, you know, just of how well it captivated everyone uh, who's played it. And and for me, certainly I could spend, you know, hours hours talking about it, um, but I won't. So um, <laughs> in, in, in in terms of what, what you said, yeah, I, I agree with, with pretty much mm. most of it, you know, if, if not all of it. Um, I guess if, if I was to... Um, so, I mean, you talked earlier about the, the pacing of the game. The only other complaint that I had, apart from the pacing, was I don't think there were enough big set pieces, maybe. Mm. Um, I think, to be honest, like I said earlier, the game worked for me because of the pacing in terms of how enemies were set up. So, you know, there, there weren't all these massive big set pieces, but I still think there should have been one or two which were, um, you know, as recognizable as perhaps the one in Uncharted 2. Yeah. Where you're hanging from the train. Yeah, um, no, I agree. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I think I think that's a little bit... That's a, Maybe that's on another reason why I think that it was drawn out a little bit, because there weren't any... All of the last third of the game was just run around in the jungle, and yeah, there yeah, weren't I, any I think, big... Yeah. Whereas in Uncharted the 2, third, there definitely. were... Yeah, um, yeah I think the, the last fight was great. I loved it. I think oh, yeah. it was yeah, really well... It. Yeah, they didn't fall into the trap of the you know Uncharted three. It, it for was example. it was definitely better than the, than the previous boss fights. I'll, yeah. I'll say that. Yeah, um, and, and I liked that it was with swords as well, um, mm. because 
I mean, uh, I guess it, it was it was different. It wasn't just your typical "here's a gun, shoot the person until he's dead." Yeah. It was, you know, you're actually having to first of all learn a different control scheme quite quickly. I mean, yeah. It's not. It wasn't difficult. You're just pressing square and triangle or something, aren't you? Um, but the fact that it was it was very cinematic as well, and the fact that you know you you were actually in control of the whole fight pretty much, apart from the bits you know where you're. Um, well, where you're not, but, yeah. <laughs> but for most of it, for most of it, you were in charge of what you were doing, and so I think it it was it was quite a good way to have that final boss fight. Um, I almost yeah. died actually, uh, but I was able to do it the first time, and that was on on moderate. So, so I was yeah. quite happy that I didn't I didn't die the first time. I think but, I died. Um, uh, I died at, at the very last moment where he actually stabs you when you're underground, and and I didn't die until then. And I was uh, like, oh right, yeah. man, I wish. I to be honest, I died plenty of times during this game. Yeah, like, me too. Just, 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 especially in the in the bits where, um, uh, you know, you're in Madagascar in the jeep, mm. and I was driving down the dirt path. I kind of went, "Oh, let's look over here," and I drove up a cliff. Yeah, and I was like, "Oh, <laughs> I, I didn't realize that was a thing." I thought I could just drop down, maybe, and you know. Yeah, me too. Uh, I died a little bit more than I care to admit. Um, you know, uh, yes. there were a few gunfights where I I should have moved a little bit more. And I didn't, yeah. and I didn't quite get that I should have stayed more mobile. Um, I really liked the, the stealth-ish parts. Yes. I thought those worked. Um, they, they, they were interesting. The, I didn't well, quite... We, we, we oh, both Patrick, that uh, even though we wanted to play stealth, we still ended up having a massive gunfight after about two minutes of trying, didn't we? Yeah, I I mean a lot of the a lot of the times I tried to play I I would do usually half of the things stealth and then yes, you yeah. know someone would see me and would be like all right screw it you're blowing up exactly and then they yeah, you, add, just, you just yeah. end up shooting them halfway through yeah, because you exactly. get seen but uh, but no, I I actually found it quite good because I was actually able to complete at least you know no I don't want to say half but at least mo you know um almost half of them without firing a single bullet. Mm. Which I thought was good because I'm, I'm always a fan of those kind of those stealth aspects of games and and the fact that you can actually take out um, you know everyone without without firing a bullet. Yeah. So that that was good for me. And then the bits where you were actually forced to fight, um, that felt even better. The gunplay felt great. Um, the the environments were good as well because you had enough cover. But at the end of the day, it was destructible. So the you did you to have move, to move around. Yeah. Exactly. And um, I mean. The only other negative I'll say at this point was there was too much crate pushing to jump up to higher places. <laughs> <laughs> that was half yeah. the game, I think. <laughs> but um, but no, that, that's, those are the only three negatives I can think of, which is the, the mm. pacing, um, maybe a bit of the story that was a bit too long, um, the crate pushing, and also the only other negative I'll say, maybe the soundtrack. Um, it was good, but I don't think it was used enough, and there wasn't enough variety mm. um, in that yeah. But that's just a minor nitpick, isn't it? Well, that's not, you know, the the whole atmosphere of the game anyway made it, you know, seem yeah. like you were there and realistic without the need of an orchestra or or, or music. True. Um, true. But, yeah. But you, I, I, sorry, go on. Um, no, I was going to uh, finish with a couple of things and and then close. So go ahead, say your piece. No, I just, I just, I think the. Um, the fact, again, just like every Uncharted game, they did visit so many locations again was was good. Especially I liked the um, the level where you get to meet Nadine and Sam um, yeah. in that kind of auction mansion place. That was a that was very nicely set up, I think. 
and um, even even stuff like just being in the prison um, and then traveling to Madagascar and then the only thing I'll say is maybe they could have added a few more places because um, as you did say again yeah, the entire last third was just that one island yeah but but apart from that I would say the, the variety of places was really good and I really enjoyed being in all these different uh, locations even, even yeah. the, the mansion where you flash back um, as young Drake and you're exploring the house I think even though you didn't do much there it, it still added something to the story and, and still kind of you know was just fun to explore and yeah so I agree I, I've seen people say that they didn't love these passages or that the fact that you were going back to it felt out of place uh, it didn't feel like that at all for me for me it was absolutely well placed <laughs> um, yes and, and it was at, it came at the right moment and I was like oh, right, they were going to go get that thing from their mother. What was that again? And it informs you, you about, you know, their relationship and why they're... So, yeah, I thought it worked. Um, you mentioned uh, a little bit of the mechanics. I thought the traversal worked really well. Um, and the way you, you moved from ledge to ledge without having to jump, you know, if you extend your arm, then it, it you know, he goes to it. It felt very, I don't know, very yes, natural. Yes, that, that was... Um... That's very good. The, the one thing I noticed about this game is that they weren't exactly. I mean, they were they were there were visual cues, but you know the ledges weren't painted yellow. For example, right. everything just merged into how it should. Um, so it looked hundred percent realistic, and you know you weren't following a, a path that was preset. Um, yeah, it felt by, like you, know, you had. It felt like you had a lot more freedom than in yes. the other ones, and and of course you didn't. But it's just the way the level is like designed. It. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it's funny. The more I talk about it, the more it's. It, you know, these kinds of games. It's it's kind of difficult to decide what you think about them immediately after you're done playing. And literally for me, it it's been like three hours. So, um, I, I the more I talk about it, and the more. I sense that there are more memorable moments than I thought uh, and more emotional moments than I thought. So maybe um, I'm going to feel a little bit differently about it in, in a couple of days. Um, we'll see. But but it's it's definitely a, a good game, a great game even, and I, I can easily recommend it. So Yeah, me too. All right, uh, that's going to be it for us. Long show today. <laughs> that that uncharted bit took a lot longer than I thought it would, but uh, it's worth it. It's a good game. Uh, thanks yes. again for being on, Daniel. Um, as I mentioned, your uh, Twitter uh, handle is going to be in the show notes. So if you want to go check out what uh, Daniel does, please follow that link. Uh, my Twitter handle is always here. You know it, frenchspin.com for uh, the notes for the show. And um, of course, if you want to let us know what you thought about uh, Uncharted or anything else we discuss in the show. That's the place to do it, either on Twitter or on uh, the the blog. And uh, any last uh, words you want to give the listeners before we leave, Daniel? Uh, nothing really. Just want to thank yourself for for letting me on the on the podcast. It's been really great just to uh, to talk with you about all these different topics. Sure. It was great to have you. Thank you very much for the uh, enlightening teachings uh, you, you got us about all of these um, uh, financial results and uh, condition of the industry. And uh, I hope Hopefully you can do it Hopefully it wasn't again too sometime. boring for people. I, was, I loved it. I don't care what anyone else th th thinks. And I think they loved it too. So 
thank you so much and we'll see you in a couple of weeks i think uh yeah e3 won't have started yet so i think we're gonna have a regular episode at that point uh so yeah we'll see you then thanks again bye As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.